0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Tuesday the 22nd of February 2011, entitled Loving Life. And the Bible readings are taken from Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 11, and Galatians chapter 4, verse 18. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Good evening. Good to see all of you. Glad to be here. Say amen. If you'd rather be here than in jail, say amen. 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 That's good. All right. Praise the Lord. Well, I said that uh, I was going to try to live by the preacher beatitude this week. The first one I said Sunday night, I said, blessed is a preacher whose train of thought has a caboose. Amen. The second preacher beatitude last night, I said, blessed is a preacher who can get airborne with the shortest amount of runway. So tonight I'm going to live by the preacher beatitude, Steve. It says, blessed is a preacher who, once he lands the plane, cuts it off. Y'all get that problem. Some of y'all won't figure that out, but we're about done, all right? so, But bear with me. Are y'all awake tonight? Good, good. Act like it then. Some of you don't look like you're awake at all. But uh, take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter number 12, and once you find found your place there, go over and find Galatians chapter number 4 and verse number 18. Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. Once you found your place in Romans chapter number 12, look down at verse number 9. After you found that, turn over to Galatians chapter uh, number 4, Romans chapter number 12. And I'm going to be concise tonight, and I'm going to tell you like Elizabeth Taylor. I told the people at the, at the senior citizen's home uh, this the other night. I don't think some of them got it. Maybe you will. I'll tell, tell you like Elizabeth Taylor told her seventh husband, I'm not going to keep you long tonight, all right? <laughs> some of y'all get that. But Romans chapter number 12, look at verse number 9. You know, it seems, though, when we come to England, we stay with uh, Larry, Pastor Larry and, and Miss Janie and the family. There's one predominant thing that we do a lot of. We do a lot of talking. We do a lot of staying up at night. But, Brother Malcolm, one thing that we do a lot of is eat. <laughs> Amen. I, Baptist, like eating. I don't know what it is. I think we spell fellowship F-O-O-D. But... uh but 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 we eat a lot. But but the other night, uh, Pastor Larry went out to get some chicken, and he came back, and it was really good chicken. It came from I think it was Ro- something Rooster, King Rooster. Amen. What a name for a chicken place. I like that. But King Rooster. But he said he went to a certain place a few weeks ago, got some chicken, and brought it back, Chris. And it was okay, but it just wouldn't. It just didn't have the right seasoning. It was just like it was fried and that's all that was done to it wasn't no flavor to it it was just kind of bland now folks you know it's one thing for to eat a piece of chicken that's bland but it's another thing when a christian's life is just bland see folks i contend to you that tonight all of us have life now some of you it's questionable You know, it's a scary thing that if somebody had a heart attack in a church in America these days, uh, that an EMT or a uh, a nurse would have to wade through about 47 people before they found the one that actually had the heart attack. Because there's a lot of people that sit in church and they look like a bunch of dead stoic wooden Indians. I mean, they're just sitting there, no life. Listen, I contend to you that everybody in here has life, but not everybody's living. Let me say that again. Everybody in this room has life, but not everybody's living. See, there was a a statement made in a movie I saw a long time ago that said, uh, the the man said to someone, he said, Every man dies, but not every man truly lives. So tonight I want to speak on a topic about loving life. Loving life. I want you to look at Romans chapter number 12 and look at verse number 9. It says, Let love be without dissimulation. That means without hypocrisy. That means don't be a hypocrite when it comes to love. You love people where they live, warts and all. Don't let your love be with hypocrisy. Don't, let, don't, don't wear a mask around some people. In other people, you're the real deal. You be the real deal every single day of, the, day of your life. Don't let love, let's say, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Look at the next verse, verse number 10. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly, let me say it again, with brotherly love in honor preferring one another and then look at verse number 11 now folks if i can ever if i could ever read a verse of scripture to you that was pregnant with bible doctrine i mean this thing right here is jam packed full of bible doctrine and it's only about eight words okay i want you to look at it it says not slothful in business fervent in spirit serving the lord now, let me explain something, folks. When he says not slothful in business, what he's basically saying is this, Tyler. Don't drag behind in the affairs of your life. Don't drag your feet. Have you ever met people in your life that it was, it was like extracting a tooth of the pair of pliers to get them to go anywhere? You've got to drag them everywhere. Come on. Come on. Hurry up. Hurry up. Come on. It's almost like you got to push them out the door. you got to push them to do anything. You, you. There's no proactivity in their life. They're all only reactive. And he says, don't drag your feet in the affairs of your life. Why? Because the last part of the verse, but in the middle of that, there is a very intriguing phrase. He says, not slothful in business. Don't, don't drag your feet in the affairs of your life. Young people, then he says, be fervent in spirit. The word fervent there is the word passionate. Zestos. Passionate. Have some zeal in your life. Why? Because we serve King Jesus. That's why. Don't drag your feet in the affairs of your life. Be passionate in your spirit. Why? Because we're serving the Lord. Can I get a hearty amen right there? I am not into business. Listen, I'm not in the business of promoting myself. I'm in the business of promoting the king of the universe. And folks, we've got an awesome responsibility, but a great privilege to do so. You know, the Lord spoke to a church in Asia Minor. And Pastor Downey, he said these words. He said, you know, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. The word hot literally means boiling. He said, I wish you were. I would you weren't hot or cold. But since you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, he said, I'm going to literally vomit you out of my mouth. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. You know what, folks? Can I just say this? If you're not going to live for God, and I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but I, I know that predominantly I'm talking to God's people. But let me just say this. There might come a time in your life where you say, you know what, this this Christian life just ain't worth it, man. Too much persecution. It's too hard. Can I say this? If you're not going to live for God, the best thing that you could probably do, if you're not going to stay hot and passionate and boiling for the Lord, just go ahead and get as cold as a cucumber. Just go ahead and live for your flesh, live for yourself, because fact of the matter is, chances are you probably ain't even saved to begin with. Now, that's not good uh, English, but it's good preaching. Now, I'm not Judging anybody in me. I'm just telling you the truth. The Lord said, I would you were cold or hot. It's better for you to be frigid than to be lukewarm. At least God can deal with you when you're frigid state. When you're in a lukewarm state, you know what? You just think you're just okay. I contend to you that you can be okay and sit in a church for 50 years and have a measure of spiritual growth, but never see revival in your life. I'll tell you what, Brian, that's good preaching. They ain't. Some of them ain't looking like they're liking that, but that's good. You just keep on preaching, it, son. Amen. Listen, he said, "I would you were cold or hot, but since you're lukewarm, can I say this, folks? If you're gonna love life, you've got to understand that you don't drag behind in the affairs of your life. Whatever God's given you to do, you do it with all your might. Why?" Because you got to be passionate. Listen to me. Do you want to be affected by your surroundings or do you want to affect your surroundings? If you are going to be somebody that's going to serve the Lord Christ, you got to be passionate in your spirit. You've got to love life. Can I ask you a question before I even go any farther tonight? Do you have life or are you living? Have a checkup. Ask God to make you take an honest inventory of your heart tonight and see whether you just have life or are you living it. Now I want you to turn over to Galatians chapter number 4 and look at verse number 18. Galatians chapter number 4, look at verse number 18. Paul told the church in Galatia, he said, but it is good to be zealously affected always and a good thing and not only when I am present with you. Let me go ahead and stop right there and say this. He said, it is good that you be zealously, passionately affected always in a good thing. May I say this? It is a good thing to serve the God of the universe. He said, it is is a good thing to be zealously, it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. You know what? God don't want you to serve with eye service. He don't want you to just come to church and have your little obligation and you be a spiritual robot while you're here and then go out and just be as cold as a cucumber uh, Monday through uh, Saturday. You don't do it with eye service. When you're around Christians, you act a certain way, and when you're around the other crowd, you act another way. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm just trying to preach a Bible. It is good to be zealously, passionately affected always in a good thing. I was preaching a summer camp about four or five years ago, Chris, and a guy that uh, comes that is a counselor uh, that stays in the junior campers uh, uh, dorm, if you will, their cabin. Uh, this is seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old boys. All right. And this guy, I'm telling you, Tyler, he ain't got a Bible education. He's never been to Bible college. He's been saved about 13, 14 years, and he don't know a whole lot about the scriptures, but let me tell you something. He don't might not know all of the word of God, but he knows the God of the Word. Old Steve will get up, and let me tell you what he does every morning when we're at camp. Steve, he gets up and he wakes up, he pulls the covers off of him, and he stands up, and this is what so have any of y'all ever seen the movie Good Morning Vietnam with Robin Williams? He stood up every morning that we were in camp at 6.15 in the morning and said, Good morning, he's alive. You know what? I like a guy that's passionate about something. And that guy right there had some passion. That's what God wants us to do. He don't want us to just listen. He don't want us to just have life. He wants us to live. You say, preacher, what are you trying to tell us tonight? I want to infuse, listen to me, I want to try to infuse some passion, some zeal in your life to make you live even when living ain't the best thing. Hello. You're welcome. Because let me tell you something. Forrest Gump says life's like a box of chocolates, didn't he? Let me tell you something. Life ain't a box of chocolates. Life's more like a a bag of something else sometimes. I'm just telling you, folks. It gets rough down in the valley. I've said this to God's people here at Bethel before. When listen, when they grow crops down in the valley, they spread manure on it. The Bible says the only place you're going to grow, you can have sweet fellowship on the mountaintop, Pastor. But you only grow in the valley. Amen. And what we want is we want to exclude the valley times in our life when God says that's where I'm going to meet you the most because that's where you're going to be the most. It's in the valleys. And I say this? How do you live life and love it? Well, number one, I want you to turn to John chapter number 10 and look at verse number 9. John chapter number 10 and verse number 9. Some of y'all saying, man, that guy, I'll tell you what, he's different. Yeah, I am. You know what, folks? I believe God has had it up to about here. With religious exercises. Do you hear me? Does God's people here at Bethel hear me tonight? God's had it up to about here with religious calisthenics, with doing our little religious system every single week, going away the same ways we came in the house of God. And there's a lot of places that you go, Brother Downey, where Ichabod's already been written over the door and the glory of God has already departed and all that's going on inside is exercise. But listen, folks, we're God's people. Don't get like that. God wants a person who has some passion. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter number 10. Look at verse number 9. He said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he, in, uh, come to me, he shall enter in and go in and out and find pasture. He said, A thief coming not before to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have... Okay, that was weak. I have come that you might have... And that you might have it more... Let me say something, folks. The word abundantly there literally means this. It means to have life with excessive, unfailing exuberance. Can I say this? If you're miserable tonight, it ain't God's fault. It's your fault. Hey, thanks, Miss Janie. She got me before I get it. Doggone it. Let me tell you something, folks. God God wants us to have not just life, but to have it more abundantly with unfailing exuberance. If you got the mully grubs tonight and you're miserable and you're just having the worst time and it looks like somebody shot your dog... You know, that's the way some people come to church. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you. God bless you. And then get down and sing. Amazing grace. Jesus. Victory in Jesus. Yeah, he's well, I got the victory. <laughs> no, you don't. You might have it, but you're not acting like you got it. Let me tell you something. First of all, number one, the source of living. The source of living. Can I say this, folks? It is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. Let me tell you something. How do you live when you leave here and go to work? How do you live when you leave church and you go um, amongst your friends? What's it like in your household? Mom and dad? Hey, teenager, how do you treat your parents? Don't slink down in your seat. You'll give yourself away. God wants us to have some passion. We can get excited about Aston Villa and Birmingham City, and all them playing soccer and football. We can get excited about all our other extracurricular activities. But what about serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? The source of living with passion is none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Tyler, I have come that you might have life and not just have it, but have it more abundantly with excessive exuberance. Hallelujah. I don't care if you go down the street and you just kick your heels. People might think you're crazy. But hey, listen, I'm crazy for Jesus. It wouldn't. B- I've often thought, how would I like to die? Son, I'd like to have... Let me tell you something, Carl. I'd like to be preaching and just having a fitness all of a sudden. And just die just like that behind the pulpit. It wouldn't bother me a bit. they saying, boy, he's really crazy now. The source of our living is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. You know what that tells me, Andrew? I'm not my own. He paid for me. I've been bought with a price. What? Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, Panos, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I don't care if you're here, and if you're as lost as a goose in a snowstorm. You're not your property. You're God's property even as a lost person because God created you in His likeness and in His image. The source of living in our life is none other than Jesus Christ. I got a friend. He, gra- he graduated from a, a university in, in the United States of America. played football for him for three years. Got out of there with a degree in business. Brother Downey went to, to a, a town down in Texas, made a living for himself, started his own business, went from there, got promoted in another company, eventually became the CEO of that company, lived a fruitful life. He's 65, retired. I called him. Uh, he called me about a year and a half ago, and he had an early retirement, and I, he called me, and he said, guess what I'm doing? And I heard something in the background sounding like an engine. He said, Brian, I'm getting ready to go up about 15,000 feet and jump out of an airplane. I said, I hope you got an parachute on, brother. I've never understood why people jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Don't make sense to me. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always. I don't think we're supposed to be flying. If He would, we'd give us wings. But He said, I'm jumping out of airplane. He said, by the way, He said, I learned how to base jump. And most of y'all know what base jumping is. You know, jump off of everything, but anything but a a, a six-foot ladder. I mean, they jump off of of the Eiffel Tower. They might get arrested for it. I mean, they, they jump off all this stuff. And he said, I've learned to base jump. I said, why are you doing this? Did you hit your head? He said, no. He said, I wanted a little excitement in my life. He said, I needed an infusion of excitement. Can I tell you something, folks? I'm glad the guy saved because he could lose his life at any time doing that mess. But he's excited and he wanted something to infuse something in his life that would give him some passion and excitement back. Can I ask you something? What excites you? What excites you? What gets you going? What does it take to prop you up and pump you up and keep you going? I'll tell you this, the longer that I live, now my family knows me better than anybody, and there's times when I get in the valley too, But I'll tell you this, there is nothing that excites me more than to get in a pulpit and watch God's Word and the Holy Spirit of God take God's Word and do something in a believer's heart and make them walk an aisle and come and get things right. I'll tell you, that'll never get old to me. That excites me. Serving Jesus Christ. The source of our living is Jesus Christ. But number two, I want you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter number nine. Now hold on just very quickly. Ecclesiastes chapter number nine. I promised if I land this plane, I'd stop it. So it just—it's almost it's, it's circling the tower. We're getting ready to go down in the landing gear. Okay, I want you to look at Ecclesiastes chapter number nine and look at verse number ten. Ecclesiastes nine and verse number ten. Once you found your place there, say Amen. Some of you found it. It's in the Old Testament. Okay, good. Ecclesiastes chapter number 9 and verse number 10. The writer said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said these words. He said, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Can I say this, folks? Number one, the source of our living is Jesus Christ. But can I talk about the scope of our living? When we have passion in our life and we're living and not just have life, pastor, do you know what? It affects every, it ought to affect every area of our life. Every area of our life. The scope of it. Well, what does it affect? I had a kid come to me in camp last summer. Little bitty, little bitty fella. Um, I think he's about 15 years of age. And while we were at camp, he said, I believe God's called me into ministry. He said, I want you to pray for me. He said, I've, I've got some reading disabilities, and I have a hard time comprehending what I read. Uh, undoubtedly, he's got a little dyslexia, and 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 so he said, "But you pray for me." Let me tell you something. That kid got up when we had the preachers' contest, and that little kid got up, and I'm telling you, he might have not gotten maybe one point of his whole message out, but I'll tell you, his tears flowed down his cheeks. You could tell he knew a lot about the guy he, the person he was preaching about. That kid came up to me after the first night and he said, Preacher, he said, have you ever worried about that vein in your neck and that vein in your forehead popping? He said, have you ever watched yourself preach? I said, no, I don't even believe people come watch me and hear me. I don't even watch myself. I really don't. My wife will tell you, I don't listen to myself. I want to see myself preach. I don't want to do that. And he said, there's a vein that pops out in your head and sometimes there's a vein in your neck that that pops out. And he said, you know what? You made me need to chill out a little bit. You might have a heart attack. You know what I told him, Tyler? I told him, son, when I stand before my Savior, He's not going to look at me and say, Brian, you didn't do it right the first time. I'm going to give you a second chance. When I stand before Jesus Christ, my life is over on this side of heaven and I'm going to stand before Him and I ain't going to be sent back to have another chance. So you know what? I need to do what I do. Whatever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Now I know it's not somebody's personality to be like me. I don't expect everybody. If everybody was like me, wow. (laughs) Wow. I don't expect everybody to run the pews and to jump up like a crazy man, Andrew, but let me tell you something. There ought to be something deep down inside of us that we have a passion. We have a zeal. We have some fervency about serving King Jesus. You say, preacher, if it affects every area of our life, then tell us some of them. Well, the first area it ought to affect is people. You don't turn back there, but in Romans chapter 12, we read those verses. It says, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. You know what? The ministry of Jesus Christ is about people. It's about people. I know there's people here that... I had a burden for. And I remember going to some and having dinner and having a cup of tea and and talking. There's even some that aren't even in our presence and I'm still burdened for. Hey, listen, there were people in my area, Brother Downey, there were five families that I was burdened for that weren't going to church anywhere. And when I got here last year, God said, who's going to feed them? Who's going to shepherd them? Who's going to give them some meat? And do you know what? I went back and I said, by the grace of God, I don't care if I get scoffed at, I don't care if everybody wants me to fail in my area, I'm gonna start my church, and I'm gonna pray those people to come to my church. And you know what we got down on our face? I didn't visit one of them. And Chris, one by one, I watched every one of those five families come, they all joined, they've all been scripturally baptized, and they're all faithful in our ministry. And I just preached to them last this past Sunday by Skype and looked at all of them, all five of them families. Let me tell you something, folks, the ministry And having passion should start first with people. Pastor, I'll forever be indebted to you, sir, for allowing me to come. And in God's providence, on that first Sunday that I ever stepped foot in this pulpit, that God helped me to meet one of the dearest friends on this side of heaven that I'd ever had. He's sitting back here in that chair. And I stood back there, Malcolm, and we talked, and I got a burden for you, and I started praying. You know what? I'm thankful for that letter that you sent me about three months later that said, Preacher, I'm going to heaven now because I trusted Christ, and I know there's going to be chicken in heaven when I get there, because that's what I said in the message. You want to know why? Because we had some passion and burden for people. I could do that to multitudes of people in here. We had a burden. And your pastor had a burden. Let me tell you something, folks. The scope of our living and having passion in our life starts, number one, with people. You ought to be passionate about people. Number two, you ought to be passionate about preaching. You say, well, I ain't one. It don't matter. Just because you ain't a preacher don't mean you can't be passionate about it. You know what the Bible says? We read it uh, Sunday night, 1 Thessalonians 5. Or yes, last night, 1 Thessalonians 5. 20 says, despise not prophesying. That means don't despise preaching. You need to be thankful for your pastor who will sit and labor and labor and labor over the Scriptures to give you something to go in your bosom that you can walk with Jesus Christ and live faithful for Him. Don't Listen, be passionate about preaching. There was a man in the Bible by the name of Apollos in Acts chapter number 18. He was a zealous man. He was a very eloquent guy. He was... Listen, he, he preached unto the people there and it said that he had, he had fervency in his spirit. He had some passion in his spirit about the preaching of God's Word. We need to be that way. We not only need to be passionate about people and about pre- preaching, but number three, we need to be passionate about prayer. Go full circle to Sunday morning. We talked about James chapter 5, verse 16. The effectual fervent Prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Listen to me, folks. We've got to be passionate. That's what the word fervent means, to be passionate. The scope of living in, with passion in your life starts with people. It goes to preaching. Then it goes to prayer. I wish. I wish. And some of you in here will be able to do this when I talk about it. I wish that all of you could have been in some of the prayer meetings that us young people have had up in that room right there. And the passion and the tears flowing and the, the burden for, for family members and the burden for some of their friends that were coming to, to, to hear. You know what? I can contend to you that there is a young lady in Fayetteville, North Carolina now by the name of Jane, who is there and she's going to heaven as a direct, uh, listen, as a direct result of the passionate prayer in that room four years ago. And I get the privilege of baptizing her when I get back. Can I just run a lap for just a minute? Hallelujah! I know that's out of character for us here. You need to be passionate about people. You need to be passionate about pr- preaching. Be passionate about prayer. But you know what? There's something else. And I'm I know I'm preaching to the choir right now. But we need to be passionate. We need to listen, the scope of our living with passion in our life ought to ought to be one of the other places, and I believe the most important place is we need to be passionate in our living about the place of worship. You remember when Jesus went into the temple and there the money changers were were there selling and he got mad and he took a reed, he turned the tables over, he made a a mess out of that place and he said, what have you done? You've made my house a house of merchandise. And the disciples said, you know what? Now we remember what it's written in the Old Testament where it says, The zeal, the passion of thine house has eaten me up. John chapter number 2. Let me tell you something, folks. We need to have some passion about people, about preaching, about prayer, and about the place of worship. That's the scope of living in our life. The source is who? Jesus Christ. The scope is it ought to be about people, it ought to be about preaching, it ought to be about prayer, and it ought to be about the place of worship. Isn't it an amazing thing that Colossians 3.23 says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. For you serve the Lord Christ. May I say this, folks? The word enthusiasm comes from two words. En, E-N, means within. And theos of enthusiasm, theos means God. So literally, panos, the definition of the word enthusiasm literally means this. God within. God within. What are you enthusiastic about? Does it, affect, does it affect every area of your life? I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this last point and we go to the house. Look, at. I want you to turn. Just turn anywhere, okay? It don't matter. Um, we've seen the source of living. We've seen the scope of living. But can I talk to you for just a minute about the solution for living with passion see there's some things if we're going to solve the problem of not having passion and wanting to get it infused into our life there's some things that we need to stop doing and some things we need to start doing first thing we need to stop doing is this now some of y'all gonna get real mad at me on these next two points it's all right you know I love you Paul told the people in Galatia he said you know what you were the same people that would have plucked your eye out for me," he said. "I'm gonna now become your enemy because I tell you the truth. You know the. You know what? You, if you want to have salute, you want to have a solution to the problem of passion in your life and living, and not just having life. Number one, you need to stop complaining. Stop. Don't throw a hymn book at me. All right. Stop complaining. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1 says, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. Here's what young people do. Young people will say this. They'll say, well, you know what, preacher? I can't play the flute like Tenica. Well, I can't play the piano like so-and-so. I'm not as good as Shelley. And all they do is complain about what they can't do. I've seen adults do the same thing. Well, I can't sing like sister so-and-so. Well, I sure can't pray like brother so-and-so. Man, he can pray heaven down. I can't pray like him. Well, let me tell you something. If we'd stop complaining about what we can't do and start praising God for what we can do, God would bless in our churches like he wants to. Stop complaining. But number two, if you want to solve the problem of passion in your life, number one, stop complaining. But number two, stop comparing. 2 Corinthians chapter number tw- 10, verse number 12 says, And they that compare themselves with themselves are unwise. Can I say this? You don't have to compare your gifts to anybody else in this church. God gave you a specific gift to reach the people around you that you know what? This preacher, when I and I've been given the gift of call to the ministry, you know what? You'll reach people that I never will with the gift that God gave you. So stop sitting around and bellyaching about the gift that God's given you like it was some kind of lot or your lot in life, and this is just your cross to bear. Why don't you start praising God for it and stop comparing yourself with somebody else because God said that is unwise. How do you solve it? Well, you stop complaining number 2 you stop comparing. But let me tell you what you got to start doing. You need to stop complaining, stop comparing, but number listen to this. If you're going to solve the problem of just not just having life but living, number 1 you need to start living. You need to start living. Not just existing, you need to start living. There's a man in the Bible named Caleb. Caleb was 85 years of age. He went before the man of God and he said, You know what? He said, I'm as strong today as I was when I was 40. And he said, I've come through 40 years in the wilderness with a murmuring, complaining, backbiting, gossiping people, 3 million people he had to deal with for 40 years of his life, listening to nothing but murmuring and gossiping and complaining. And he came out stronger than while he was in it. Do you know what he said? I want you to give me that mountain. You promised me that mountain, Lord. I want my mountain. You know what we need to do? We need to start living instead of just having life. Number two, you not only need to start living, but number two, you need to start laboring. Hello? You need to start laboring. You remember in Nehemiah? Remember when the, the Bible talks about Nehemiah? and He's up on the wall and he's building the wall. And there was some gentlemen that were from the, uh, the council of the first church of Jerusalem. And they came to him and said their names were Sanballat and Tobiah. Sanballat. Okay. Um, Sanballat and Tobiah. Aren't you glad you live in the 21st century? I have a name like Brian. Can you imagine the pastor getting up and saying, "It's good to have San Ballot Beaver here tonight preaching"? Yeah, <laughs> it's funny, but um, San Ballot and Tobiah came to Nehemiah and said, "Nehemiah, we'd like for you to come down off the wall and stop building. We need to have a little meeting. We need to find out the projected." Outcome of what you're doing how long it's going to take what are the necessary funds that you're going to need to have because you know We'd like to know and you know what he did. He said guys. I ain't got time for a bunch of meetings Can I get an amen right there? I ain't got time for a bunch of meetings I'm up here, and I'm doing a good work if you want to have a meeting you go have a meeting But I'm gonna stay here and get busy for God Can I say this, folks, and I mean this as kind as I can say it. If we would get serious about working for King Jesus, we wouldn't have time to worry about somebody gossiping about us. We wouldn't have time to get on the phone and gossip about somebody to somebody else. If we was busy doing His work, we wouldn't have be consumed. I'm going to tell you something. I'm so busy now that I don't have time to worry about who wants to see me fail in my area. I just let them go ahead and do what they want and pray how they want, and I'll pray, and I'll, we'll, just see, uh, we'll just see what happens. Hey, listen, folks. It's time for us to get busy. Galatians 6 9 says, And let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. But I need to close, and this is the last point I've got. I know some of y'all saying, Well, thank God you got the landing gear out. I'm going to land a plane, all right? If we going listen, if we're going to solve the problem of passion in our life and live for King Jesus, number one, we need to stop complaining, number two, we need to stop comparing, then we need to start living, we need to start laboring. and can I say this and I'll be done? We need to start loving. We need to start loving. I go full circle back to Revelation chapter number 2. Jesus Christ speaks to a church, Chris, and He says these words. He said, I know your works. How you've been patient. How you've labored. And how you can't stand them that liars and have tried those that say they are apostles and found that they are not and found that they are liars. These people were so busy doing God's work and were doing such a great work that when somebody came into their presence and started preaching who was a heretic, they said, stop! You need to sit down and get out of our pulpit. And he said, you've labored and you've been patient. And for my name's sake, you haven't fainted. Man, that sounds like a pretty good commendation, don't it? And then he said these words. But I have somewhat against you. Because you've left your first love. Let me ask you a question tonight. Is the reason why I have a real hard time with somebody saying that they have been saved and they love Jesus Christ with all of their heart and then they have not one ounce of passion about serving Him? I have a real concern about that. Can I ask you something? Do you know who the source of your life is? Do you know who the source of the living uh, with passion is? It's Jesus Christ. Do you know what the scope of living is? It ought to affect every area, and whatsoever you find to do with your hand, do it with all thy might. And the solution for it, if you tonight have lost your passion, is this. Stop complaining. Stop comparing. Start living. Start laboring. And start loving. The songwriter said, if we would think, listen, here in his love, not that we love God, but that He loved us first. If we would think, the ocean we where the sky of parchment made, if every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. And were the scroll and were the sky contained the whole, we have stretched from sky to sky, it could not contain everything about the love of God. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Can I ask you something tonight? Do you have life or are you living it? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed tonight. Nobody looking around. As Reese heads to the piano and begins to play, I I want you to search your heart and ask yourself a question. Tonight, judgment day honest. Are you in this room and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've not just got life, but you've been living it? First and foremost, do you know that you have eternal life? Have you been saved by the grace of God? I'm not talking about church membership. I'm not talking about turning over a new leaf or having some restitution in your life. I'm talking about if you put your faith in Christ. If you have, and you know it, could you just raise your hand right now? You know you're saved on your way to heaven. Once you put it up, you put it down. God bless you. Is there anybody here tonight that would say, Preacher, I want you to pray for me? I'm not sure if something happened to me tonight, I'd go to him, but I want you to pray for me. I want to go and I want you to pray for me. Is there anybody like that in our congregation tonight? I wanna to pray for you. I wanna pray for you, God bless you. Anybody else? Say, preacher, pray for me. All right, one more question and we're gonna to go to the invitation time. Have you lost your first love? No, 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 no. You haven't lost it as a Christian. The fact of the matter is, some of you just left it. He said, I know how good you've been, how patient you've been, how you've tested those that say they're apostles and are not and found them liars. I know how you've borne and how you've had patience and not fainted. He said, but you've left your first love. I wonder tonight if you know what you'd say. You know what? I want God to infuse that passion back in my life, and I want you to pray for me, preacher. Just with an upraised hand, once you put it up, you put it down. Say, preacher, pray for me. I see those. God bless you. Father, in Jesus' name, have your will in your way tonight in this invitation time. Lord, help us to realize you didn't come to just to give us life, but you came to give it to us more abundantly. Lord, we'll love you and praise you for what you do, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.